Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of Volley. I'm Carolyn April, and as always, I'm looking for my buddy Seth Robinson. Seth? Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. Uh, I'm enjoying this ridiculously warm weather that we've been having in New Hampshire for almost November. Um, while I like it, it's a little bit scary, kind of abnormal, so it makes mm-hmm. me think a little bit about you know global warming. Um, but I can't complain. The leaves are real pretty right now. How are mm. you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Um, it's warm here today, but uh, it's finally starting to turn cool. And I think I, I know a lot of people that are like me that are just grumpy that you know this isn't how fall's supposed to be. I know you you don't like it when it starts getting cooler because that just means that the snow is going to come and we're all <laughs> going to be bundled up inside forever. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm just ready for it to be fall and uh and i think it it almost is here like you said almost november so it's about time yeah i think for uh, it seems like here we're just going to go from this abnormally warm weather to winter i think somebody told me the other day in the farmer's almanac which i never have read but i'll admit but somebody was saying that the winter here is predicted to be like catastrophically awful um, so it'll be interesting to go from 77 degrees in no, almost November to catastrophically awful in, in the winter, but we'll see. Yeah. I, um, I think that Farmer's Almanac always says that it's going to be catastrophic. Yeah. I, I, do you read the Farmer's Almanac? Come on. I've never read it. But I, I have not either, but I feel like I feel like this is the discussion that I see every, every winter. Like, oh, it's going to be a bad one. Yeah, this is true. People like to talk about the weather. I guess we do as well. Yeah, we should find so, a new uh, opening banter. Yeah. So I guess uh, you were out of the office for a couple of days this week at an event. I was. I missed, I I missed talking to you. Um, uh, what was on the docket? Security, right? Yep. I went uh, downtown um, McCormick Place, a different wing of McCormick Place than I've ever been to. Uh, that place is so huge. But I finally found my way over to... This cybersecurity Chicago event uh, that was put on by a group that I'd never heard of. You had never heard of them. Um, I, I was expecting it to be a little smaller, and it was kind of a small area. It was just one big room, and then they kind of did like the pop-up, you know, breakout room. So like you could go into it, but it was still open to everything, and so it was kind of noisy. But there were a ton of people there. Um, I was trying to look at name badges, and I saw some companies and everything, but they didn't have. Uh, the location listed, so I couldn't tell if people were coming in from all over the place or if it was mostly local or regional, but um, especially on Wednesday, there were just tons and tons of people there. Were and these, were these IT pros or were they channel folks? Or This is a- mostly IT pros. Okay. IT pros, I think I saw a few analysts like you and me. There were some channel people in the vendor area, so the vendor area is in the middle, and it was a lot of you know, vendors of products, but I did see a few managed security providers, things like that. Pretty, pretty interesting show. I, I thought it was pretty good. I, I liked most of the speakers that I heard. Um, they came from some places like IBM and Cisco, but then some other places that that I hadn't really heard of before, but they were talking about what's going on in security these days. And there were two primary themes that I heard. The first is that there's so much going on and so many attacks and your technology is spread out all over the place and there's so much to look at that you have to get into some kind of automation. So there's a lot going on with 
automation and machine learning and trying to capture some of the low-hanging fruit and only raise up those notifications or those issues or events that you really need to look at and pay attention to because obviously no one is really able to build out the security team that they would need to do all of these things manually. Um, and so a lot of talk about automation and a lot of talk about dealing with this explosion of technology and security issues that come with that. And then the second one was really around cloud and how cloud is changing the security picture uh, and, and really transforming it to become behavioral and how the things that you're going to look at are a little bit different than they have been in the past. And, and so instead of maybe looking at data coming in and out of an organization or data going across a network, you're looking at the behavior of a user. So how many times did a user access their cloud application and where were they when they accessed it? And if you accessed a cloud application from your home in New Hampshire and then an hour later you access that cloud application from Nairobi, that's probably a problem. That's a red flag. Yeah. Right yeah. So I thought that was interesting. I think that's in line with a lot of the things that we've been seeing, but uh, definitely some more detail. Um, definitely a little more technical than we've discussed in the past. And I, I think it raised some interesting issues. But yeah, those were the, the big takeaways. Well, hopefully it gives you fodder for uh, the next security study that we pursue in 2018. I think we are doing another one, correct? I'm planning on it. Yeah, we yeah. Uh, kind of can't get away from doing one. Everyone wants to talk about it as yeah, evidenced by... The biggest ish issue in, in IT today yeah. uh, is security, and I don't see that abating anytime soon. Um, just new new you know new nuances and avenues and topics will crop up. But I know that McAfee this week had its big security event in Las Vegas, and many of these same themes were discussed there. Obviously, from their point of view as a vendor, but uh, I think that was also a mix of IT pros and end user types and partners all discussing the same thing. And we're talking thousands of people, so obviously this is security is top of mind for everybody in the industry today. Right. And a lot of the name tags that I saw, uh, I was kind of interested to see how many of them were specifically the job title was about security or privacy. It wasn't just network analyst or system administrator or something like that. So I'm, oh, I'm really... Most of them were security specific in their titles or not? Most of the ones that I could catch a glimpse of. Yeah. That's interesting. I know that's a discipline now. I mean, it's becoming a very specialized discipline among um, IT pros and also in, within the channel. I mean, it's one of the differentiators if you're a channel company is to become a security specific type of practitioner. Uh, it gives you an advantage over, you know, more of a generalist. Right. Well, that's interesting. Well, yeah, I think this is almost a good segue because uh, a lot of what you were talking about and, you know, mapping the behavior of users as one of your security tactics kind of falls in line with some of the news that I've been seeing this week and I've forwarded some stories to you as well and you've seen some similar news about about big data about data analytics and we've done studies on it but you know even what five years ago big big data was you know up there with cloud and IOT and any other of the emerging technologies that were really hyped on the marketplace and today there's a little bit of cold water being thrown on some of it. Not that data isn't important and we aren't collecting reams and reams of it, but 
how we're analyzing it, some of the flaws in, in what to do in analytics and some of the unintended consequences that can happen because of that. And one of the articles that I'll just kick off with and then we can get into it is just, you know, what data analytics and big data have done to the game of baseball. Uh, and, you know, we all know about Billy Bean and Moneyball out there and how he kind of revolutionized the approach to managing a baseball game and how uh, you use very specific data that you've collected and algorithms that crunch all that data to determine um, all kinds of things that will affect the outcome of the game. The downside to that, though, has been that baseball games are now approaching four hours in duration uh, and people are tiring of, of that and the constant pitcher changes and all kinds of other things that are going on within the game that make it less palatable to the fan yet perhaps better for the baseball team itself in that uh, and that they win more games if they're applying these these metrics correctly and I think that's a kind of a good example of where the tension between big data is a great thing and big data we we really aren't quite there yet with uh, the best way to use it or we didn't actually anticipate some of the end results we knew we would win more games we didn't realize that that meant the games are going to be you know enormously longer and we're going to alienate some of our you know some of our longtime fans right like you mentioned we've looked at this in the past uh, we mm -hmm. haven't looked at it for a while because as a topic it definitely started cooling down really a couple years ago um, and, and I think that even when we were looking at it you, we could see that companies wanted to treat this like something they could buy like let's get into big data what do we have to buy to start storing all of this data and then analyzing it and what are the new tools that can analyze new forms of data and all of those things could be described. But the problem was you're talking about a lot of companies that have never done any kind of data analytics before or they really haven't done a lot of data management. And, and now all of a sudden you've got all these data silos all over the place and the way that all the case studies really work is that they're the uh, analytics and the, the tools are working on common sets of data. So you've got these companies that have never done that before and they don't even know where their data is and what it says. And all of a sudden they're, they're thinking about dumping more and more into the system. And, and so I think that what we were seeing even a few years ago is something that's continued. A lot of companies are, are still working their way up to, to become a little more data savvy uh, and a little more uh, literate with their data practices. And then other companies that were on the cutting edge have, have really just blown out what they've been doing and, and it's become part of their daily operation. And I think it's all become a spectrum now. Uh, and so you can't really say, well, this is big data, this is small data, and you can maybe graduate from small data to big data at some point. It's just all data management and, and how much are you dealing with, how much are you capable of dealing with. Um, and, and I think that that has frustrated a lot of companies, uh, realizing that they, they can't just build out the infrastructure that they need, they don't have the skills that they need, uh, and they can't just start magically having these things happen. And then like you said, there are these unintended consequences. So maybe they, they can build out the infrastructure, but all of a sudden things start happening. So yeah, I, I, I don't see a lot of people wanting to talk about big data very much anymore. And it really falls in line with a lot of what I'm seeing with emerging tech or, or other technical trends as companies are becoming more strategic that it's really hard to try to identify 
a, a discrete topic and say, this is big data and this is what we're going to talk about. You have to start saying, we're going to talk about data management and which piece of data management are we going to talk about and which audience are we trying to talk to? And, and you have to start diving into it and you can't just simplify it. Uh, and I think that's kind of what that Moneyball article was, was getting at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought one of the things that was interesting in one of the other articles I read was just the, the, the term or the phrase, um, the fetishization of data. And I think we have, as um, at least in the tech world and now increasingly in the business world at large, has become um, obsessed almost with the amount of data that we can collect and it becomes you're amassing all of this data, whether you want to or not, but you are. And then, like you said, it's it's the practicality of being able to figure out how best to um, exploit and use that data. And it isn't always uh, it isn't always about complete automation. I think that there's still um, you mentioned small data, and I think you know looking at um, particular pieces of information and what potential outcomes could be from a more anecdotal or intuitive standpoint still is valid, and it can't all be. Um, you know, numbers crunching and analytics. And I think what businesses are wrestling with, and if you're a channel firm, for instance, also wrestling if you're trying to build a practice around this, is how do you best balance, you know, total machine automation and, and supercomputing around data and, and with um, what I can still consider to be very important real human in, intuition. And, you know, one of the examples that came up today, which speaks to this, is a little bit, there's an article in Slate today. Um, about the CEO of Snapchat, and you and I both have teenage kids, so we're familiar with Snapchat um, as a social media uh, phenomenon that um, I know at least my daughter Grace is um, completely addicted to. But their model is, unlike Facebook or Google or some of the other social media platforms that kids are also addicted to, um, you know, their model is not as data-centric. Uh, it's it's much more, um, I guess, human would be the way to put it. I don't know. But um, this is what uh, Evan Spiegel, their 27-year-old CEO who's a bazillionaire, you know, talks about here, though. It, he decided to disavow the Facebook model of likes and other kinds of vanity metrics to measure and then do a kind of a ranking of ranking algorithms that would say, oh, this person clicked on this this many times and that therefore in their feed they're going to get that kind of thing first and all of what goes on in our you know daily life when we deal with these types of applications and tools uh, so I, I think my point being that there needs to be a balance I think struck between data obsession and also um, you know intuition mm-hmm. you mentioned the fetishization of data yeah that has a very hard word to say just, yeah just, I stumbled I, I all over it there barely got it out um, yeah I couldn't say it either I think there's also like a, a blind faith in data that needs to be fought against. And that's kind of Mm -hmm. what you're describing here. Another example was in one of those other articles with Amazon saying that Amazon, obviously humongous organization needs to rely on data and automation in order for it to meet its goals. And yet Jeff Bezos occasionally, uh, sometimes frequently will take an email from a customer uh, saying, I had a problem and he submits it to his executive team and says, find out why this problem slipped through. So he recognizes that the data isn't perfect every time and they can't just rely on it. Uh, And I think that's a really interesting approach. It's one that I don't know that I see Facebook taking that much. I think Facebook continues to believe that the technology will save them. Like if we just keep putting in better and better technology, 
then we can eventually get close to where we need to be rather than saying, yes, let's put in better and better technology, but let's also have this other piece that's a human interaction, you know, eyeballs on it, that's figuring out where something might have slipped through. One thing that's coming up a lot with data analysis and big data and especially artificial intelligence is the bias that's creeping into a lot of this stuff. If we're trying to train mm -hmm. systems using data sets, then we might have our own bias that we're not even seeing that we're putting into it. So the data sets that we might be using to do the training uh, aren't complete and we wouldn't even recognize that. And then the results start coming out and especially for those people that are just using those end results and they don't have a great understanding of what the algorithm is doing, it's very difficult to, to figure out what went into it and, and where might there be some bias, where might there be some errors. And, and I think what we're describing here is really the common thread that goes between security and big data and a lot of other technology, which is we're going to use technology more and more and we're going to use these capabilities that we never thought we would have, but it's not a perfect replacement. Like if we're talking about security and we're talking about automating things or we're talking about tracking the things in the cloud that are really important to us, then somebody needs to decide what's getting automated. What are the things that are being tracked? And, and that thread was really prominent at the event this week that as, as you're listening to people talking about what their tools can do, in the back of your head, you're, you're, you're asking the question, who's going to do the configuration? Like somebody has to do that. Mm -hmm. And this is such a new area that it's not the existing infrastructure people. It's not the existing security people. They know how to set up firewalls. They don't know exactly how to do this new configuration or how to set up this new automation. And so that's where the skills gap starts to creep in. And the same thing is definitely true in the data space that someone has to be asking the questions, what do we want to get out of this? What insights are we looking for? Uh, how are we training the data? They, they need to be asking those things. And again, companies aren't just going to be able to pick up a product, plug it in, and start turning the crank. And, right. and magic stuff comes out. Like somebody needs to be in there understanding it and asking the right questions. No, you're absolutely right. It's not like big data is a product that you said that you just buy and plug in. And, and it, it is going to require a lot of upfront planning and, and, and thought and process that goes into what you want to measure and how you want to measure it and what your outcome you're looking for is. And uh, I see that if you're at least speaking of the channel specifically, but uh, it, it, it's a business opportunity. I mean, that right there is a practice that if you can hone your skills and build a practice around that upfront work that needs to take place to help people actually get some advantage out of data analytics, uh, you know, that's a gold mine. And I don't think many channel companies are there yet. And I don't know that IT pros working within, uh, you know, an, a, a company's IT department necessarily have um, have uh, mastered those skills yet either uh, so I think you know I think that there's some training issues that go along here and uh, we're gonna see uh, hopefully people kind of get on board in the in the next few years but I think this is another one of those unintended consequences it was like a race to you know amass as much data as we possibly can is in this exciting and then like with cloud we saw a little bit of a backtrack it's like okay all right we got all this stuff now what do we do with it oh we didn't really plan up front for what we actually wanted to do with it or, or how we were going to do it uh, so I, I see some similarities in some of the things that we saw with cloud there was a rush a rush to get into the market and then a little bit of a rethinking a reality check like you and I have talked about a lot. I keep saying that 
cloud is this fascinating moment in tech history where it changed a lot of expectations and a lot of things were able to happen with cloud that hadn't happened before and that made people think that this was the way of the future and I think it was more of a, a singular event but I, I think it kind of had one foot in both camps, like a little foot in the in the old camp where it's like we're, we're going to take something that we've done before and we're going to do it in a different way. But then it also kind of uh, was looking towards the future with companies saying, we're going to do something that we've never done before. And I think it's that never done before that everyone is struggling with. You're right, both on the channel side and the IT pro side. And I kind of think that as you and I have been talking about what we might look into for research over the next year into 2018, this is going to be the big theme is we're not talking about how do you do slight modifications on something that you've done before so that you can incorporate something new and then you just keep going down the same path. We're going to be talking a lot more about doing things that you've never done before and what does that look like and how does that change operations and how does a third party feed into that the best? Right. Yeah, no, it's it's um I think we're still on a big path of transformation for a lot of companies and a lot of departments within large organizations and even small. So it's going to be I th I think the main takeaway is all this stuff is interconnected. You know, whether we're talking big data and I've read, you know, you're the stuff you've been writing it's like everything is. It's not everything is not in their own little bucket like emerging technology is a big umbrella and it's got a lot of pieces but everything kind of fits together and um and how people figure out the skills to manipulate this going to be i'm going to keep us busy for sure over the, in our in our research world um for for some time to come well that's good news for us yes yeah good so. news for those kids of ours too that need to keep their devices so that they can keep snapchatting with each other yeah, I know. They build their story. They create. They do. They do their story. That's that. I hear that all all day long. That's Are you Snapchat. on Snapchat? I am not on Snapchat. No, neither no. am I. I. No, I. I'm. I'm. You know, a uh, uh, a luddite when it comes to social media for the most part. I'm. Mm -hmm. a, I'm. A, I mean, I'm on Facebook, but I don't do too much there. I'm more of a lurker, and then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on LinkedIn just simply because that's, I guess, what you're supposed to do as a professional in life. But Yeah, I'm I'm on a few things, but Snapchat <clears throat> is the one that I, I watch them doing it, and I'm like, I don't get it. And uh, and I think that's okay. And and I think they're definitely okay with that. Yeah, I don't think my, I, yeah, I don't think my kids want me on Snapchat anyway. So, uh, and I don't really want to see anything they're doing. So, it's, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> it works uh, out for everyone. Yes, it does. All right, my friend. I think we uh, I think we got a wrap here. Yeah, yeah. You got plans for the weekend? Um, I nothing major. Uh, the Patriots game is not until it's a re rematch of the Super Bowl is until Sunday night. So I kind of have a lot of free time during the day, which will be nice. It's supposed to be beautiful weather, as mentioned at the top of this, and so hopefully get some good runs in, and I don't know, go to some farm stands and maybe get a pumpkin i don't know do some new englandy fall stuff mm. how about you uh i don't have too much going on um kids are all a little busy got some stuff to do around the house uh, but i would like to find something to do so that's probably going to be uh my big task after we get done talking here is figure out what the weekend's going to look like it's kind of kind of nice to have it unplanned 
Yeah, unplanned weekends are great, um, unless unless your plans are really cool plans. But um, right. I, I'm sort of facing that uh, same thing, so open-ended. Well, anyway, whatever you end up doing, have a great time. Same to you. All righty. Take care. All right. Bye.